So, uh, I grew up watching some um, appalling game shows in the 1970s and 80s. Anyone uh, like me on that one? Goodness me. Uh, this is one uh, game show that contaminated our TV screens for decades. Catchphrase. Roy Walker, say what you see. And uh, this was a, a little uh, word picture that I want to refer to today. I think this would have made catchphrase... Uh, at some point, it would have been in the lineup. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about this amazing picture that Jesus painted for a guy on the street in a moment. But uh, another game show which uh, I used to watch was um, Family Fortunes. Anyone remember Family Fortunes with Bob Monkhouse, not Vernon Kay? It did get a bit better. Uh, but with Bob Monkhouse, it was uh, proper cheesy. In fact, on a scale of one to Stilton, it was right up there. And uh, basically, if you weren't familiar with the game show, uh, there were two families that were lined up at the front um, of the uh, studio, and they were asked these questions, and it all went like, like this. Uh, we asked a survey of 100 people, and they kind of hit the buzzer. Okay, these are real answers given on family fortunes. Okay, they're not made up, I promise you. Okay, here's the first one. We asked a survey of 100 people, name a jacket potato filling. It's not difficult, is it? <laughs> Tuna, cheese, coleslaw, jam. <laughs> that was the answer. We asked a survey of 100 people, name something you do in the bathroom. <laughs> Decorate. Okay, this is real. This is live television in the 80s. Name a food that is both brown or white. Pretty obvious, really, isn't it? Roast potatoes. <laughs> it gets better. Name a famous Scotsman. Trevor MacDonald. <laughs> we asked a survey of 100 people... Name a domestic pet. A leopard. <laughs> Anybody owned a leopard here this morning? Name an occupation that you might need a torch for. Burglary. <laughs> we asked a survey of 100 people, name something that grows in the garden. A shed. A shed. And finally, my favourite of all, we asked to save 100 people, name a bird with a long neck. Naomi Campbell. <laughs> the, the British public, I mean, it is unbelievable. I heard, a, I heard on the radio once one of these phoning quizzes, and the question was, what J is where two roads meet? And someone said, dual carriageway. Oh dear. So, doing what I do, um, I get asked a lot of questions about Christianity. And uh, there's not one question or, or even ten questions, of course. There are many, many questions. There are the ones about fossils and dinosaurs and monkeys. And uh, then there are the more painful ones about bereavement and sickness and suffering. 
The, the dialogue is inevitable. The, the idea that we are created by God um, and he watches us and he loves us and he longs for us does take a bit of working out, let's be honest. It provokes all kinds of questions depending on our background, depending on what life has done to us. The idea that we are loved by a God in heaven is a tough one to accept for many people. And as Steve has said, and you probably saw as the giant red question mark came up on the screen, which is the universal logo of Alpha, this amazing thing that has gone round the world that literally millions of people have gone on. It's very famous, but it's really very simple. It's an opportunity to engage in a dialogue, in a conversation about some of these really really big questions that are thrown up by the challenge of the Christian faith and the claims of Jesus and the church and the Bible and the idea that God exists and he loves us. If you've got some of those big questions about the meaning of life, then please come on Alpha. Please come and explore those questions with us. You can sign up right over there Uh, at the Connect Point, and pick up one of these cards afterwards. Uh, Jonathan Lloyd and I will be leading it through with a fantastic team. It will involve food, which is always a good thing, I think. And uh, there'll be opportunity to engage with some of these tough questions in a completely non-threatening environment where you don't have to sign up. Well, you have to sign up for this, but you don't have to sign up to anything else after it. It is a totally open-ended environment where you can make of it what you want. Having said that, there are many people in the church here that have been on it, that have been baptized here, which is the sort of miniature swimming pool at the front that people get strangely dunked in. You'll find out what that is all about. And there are people here that have been through Alpha and it has completely changed their lives. So I absolutely thoroughly recommend it to you. Questions and doubts about God and the church and the Bible Uh, have never fazed me at all. In fact, I invite them. Why? Because Christianity stands up to any test. This is not a made-up religion for people who have got nothing better to do in life. Christianity, this message that we call the gospel, is the power of God for the personal salvation of every person in every part of the world. That's why the questions are okay. That's why the doubts are okay. That's why the criticism is okay, because it stands up. This is the truth. It works, it's real, and it changes people's lives. So, the very best thing that I think we could do in these next few moments, as we start to look at these gigantic issues around the questions of life, is to eavesdrop on a conversation that Jesus had. Uh, It happened in Jerusalem, and the probing questions came from a young guy who apparently has got quite a lot going for him. Uh, The Bible calls him the rich young ruler. So he's got money, he's got youth, and he's got power. Not a bad combination, let's face it. He probably wasn't as good looking as me, uh, but most of you aren't either. So Let's see how this conversation went with Jesus. This is what it says. 
A certain young ruler asked him, hey Siri, no he didn't, he didn't say that. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure. We'll come back to that word in a minute. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I joked about it a minute ago, but but seriously, when someone asks, uh, has big questions, and they say that they're spending time with the big G, it does normally mean Google. People have different ways of handling some of their questions, and this is a very big question that this guy is asking Jesus. A a 2,000-year-old conversation from Jerusalem, which could have happened on the street of Winchester last Thursday. Don't let anyone ever tell you that the Bible is out of date. It is the most current book in the world. It is the greatest book that has ever been compiled. It is the greatest gift that God has ever given to mankind. This book is real, it's relevant, and it is like a window into the human soul and the human condition. Jesus used many word pictures and illustrations. He was a storyteller. He had a way of illuminating truth by using ordinary things that people saw around them. But let's face it, this picture of a camel going through the eye of a needle is a weird one for sure. So what did he mean? What is it all about? Did he just come up with a strange metaphor or did he actually mean something literal? Well, for over a thousand years there are records of a story that go right back into the first millennium where people have suggested that the eye of the needle was a small door built into the fortified perimeter of the ancient walled city of Jerusalem. The story goes like this. The idea, the story, is that there were many gates going into Jerusalem, but there was one that was known as the Eye of the Needle. It was a very small gate. It was a small door that was only opened at night once the main gate had been locked. A kind of security device, a security procedure, like a body scanner at Terminal 5 in Heathrow, first century style. And the idea was that A camel could only pass through the eye of the needle after having its baggage removed and kneeling down and progressing forward on its knees. So if anything was being smuggled into the city at night that shouldn't have been there, everything that was on the camel had to be loaded off in order to get through the eye of the needle. Interesting story. We'll come back to it in a moment. 
So this apparently spontaneous conversation between Jesus and a man on the street in Jerusalem who has very big questions. It starts off as small talk, really, around the Ten Commandments. It's not particularly direct or controversial. People were religious around that time. People were Jewish. They understood the book. They understood the history. They'd grown up understanding the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Law. But there's a moment where it all starts to shift, and it starts as Jesus makes reference to the illustration of the eye of the needle. At that point, the conversation gets a little pointed, to say the least. It seems that Jesus is implying that this fellow's true worth and his net worth are not the same thing in God's eyes. The timeline is fascinating too. If you really get to grips with the events that took place around the life of Jesus, the things that he said, the stories that he used, the parables that he told people, the pictures that he created, the word pictures, the illustrations, when you understand the order that some of those things happen, there is an unfolding message. And there is a conversation that precedes this conversation And it contains a disturbing warning from Jesus, and it's actually addressed to his followers. This is what it says. This is how it's recorded in Luke's Gospel. Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, lots of people come, up, come at this whole Jesus thing intellectually, and they try and work it out with the mind. There are some fairly stark warnings from Jesus about answering these, about how we go about these questions. Jesus seemed to say that if we just deal with it on an academic level, we're not actually going to get the answers that we're looking for. That's why it's possible to go to university and spend three years studying the Bible and to come out further away from God than you did in the moment you went into it. Now that seems like a contradiction on what I just said about the Bible a few moments ago. Well, the issue is this. It is very possible to know everything about the book and nothing about the author. See, although the book is a fantastic gift from God, we are not meant to interpret it as a textbook without understanding the heart of the Father that is behind it. So Jesus said, we've got to come at it like little children. We've got to recognize that we are loved by a Father in heaven. He is not this dictator. He's not a rule maker. He is a Father who wants to engage with us. The reason why Jesus asked questions of people, 307 to be honest, to be be clear about it in terms of what's recorded in the Bible, is because Jesus was looking for dialogue, he was looking for connection, he was looking for relationship. And then he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Wow. So there is something about the way Jesus dealt with individuals one-on-one that reflected the passionate heart of a father towards each one of us. 
not to Christians, to everybody. So this well-heeled, rich, young ruler, as the Bible describes him, comes at Jesus from a background of study, from a background of academia, and let's face it, it's probably brought him a lot of success in life on one level. He's been following the religious pathways like a good old Jewish boy. He's lived in the system. He's understood the book. He's probably been taught by some of the leading rabbis because he's probably had the wealth to make that possible. But here he is on the street of Jerusalem talking to Jesus, this street rabbi, this controversial character who is beginning to tear down the religious barriers and putting people right in front of God himself. And so this guy finds his way to Jesus and he asks him this incredibly powerful question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? He's got youth, he's got wealth, and he's got power. But somewhere along the line, it stopped working and he's developed a bit of a problem. Maybe that's exactly the problem. Not that his knowledge somehow is a bad thing, but he's got the timeline all wrong. Before you can receive Christianity into your mind, you've got to receive Jesus into your heart. That's the key. That's where it starts. The rich young ruler has been diligent. He's been faithful. There's nothing in this conversation that suggests he's a bad person. He's been diligent. But he's developed a serious heart condition in the process. Like most of us, he's done his best, but he's got lost along the way. And something about Jesus draws him in. Draws him in to the point where he asks the big questions about life. So Jesus went after the key issue with this guy. Jesus talked a lot about money (laughs) in the Bible. You can read it. He talked more about money, more times he mentioned money than heaven and hell combined. The kingdom of God is the only thing he talked about more. 25 times he mentioned it. 11 out of the 39 parables of Jesus focused upon it. And once in every seven verses of Luke's gospel, money is the subject. However, I want to suggest to you that even in the face of such overwhelming statistics as those, the issue is neither money nor possessions. To suggest that Jesus is even remotely interested in that guy's bank balance or what car he drives will completely mean that we're missing the point. Completely. It's nothing about either of those two things. So what's the real issue? If it's not money and it's not possessions, what is the real issue? The real issue is treasure. Treasure. An old-fashioned word that's not used very much now. But what is the difference between treasure and money and possessions? There's a big difference, according to Jesus. These are the words of Jesus, again, recorded in Matthew's Gospel. Do not store up for yourselves 
treasures on earth where the moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the issue. Jesus went after the issue of money with that guy because that was his treasure. That was where his heart was. Possessions are the things that we buy with the money that we are able to get our hands on. But treasure is the stuff of the heart. So maybe it's okay for us to have money, but there's a problem when money has us. Jesus said that you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus said that you can only serve one God. And when money is our God, or other things is our God, leisure can be a God. Ambition can be a God. Family can be a God. Jesus said, you've got to lay it all down. You've got to lay down your treasure in order to enter through the eye of the needle, the narrow path. When Jesus referenced the, the eye of the needle, maybe he was using a well-known urban myth to make a point. Possibly he was. There's a chance that if it was an urban myth, it was around at that time. But there remains the possibility that the door was actually there. And both men were looking at it. Maybe they were even standing right next to it. There does remain that possibility. Jesus certainly used the immediate and the, the, the stuff that was literally close by in order to illustrate the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. This mystery, this divine mystery that the first will be the last. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose your life. If you want it all, you've got to become nothing. This strange upside-down kingdom that lifts the broken and the fallen and bows the shoulders of the great and the powerful. Jesus seemed to have a way of picking up the stuff around him. Consider the lilies, he said. He talked about agriculture, not because he wanted to be the first century Alan Titchmarsh. It was because he used the things that people could relate to. Why? Because this is not, this is not odd and weird. It's deeply profound but it connects with the real things around us. Maybe the eye of the needle was absolutely right in front of them. Maybe Jesus was saying, the eye of the needle, knowing that he knew the story of why that gate was there, why it was smaller than the other gates, why it was only opened at night, why a camel had to be unpacked in order to get through it, as he laid his hands upon the treasure in that man's life. Jesus had the same invitation to the rich as he did to the poor. Follow me. Follow me. He didn't say, read the book. He didn't say, go on a three-year course. He didn't say, deal with your issues and then come back when you're a little bit more humble or broken. He said, follow me. Join. Join this. Live this way. Be part of this thing. I want to say to you, if you're a visitor today, Hope Church Winchester, be part of this thing. 
Be part of this. We're not perfect. You won't find a perfect person here. If you are perfect, probably please don't join because you'll, you'll wreck it. You'll make the rest of us look, you know, a little bit too washed out. But join this thing. The church is God's great idea. It's God's plan to put people in a family. Because people don't need a message to believe in. They need a family to join. That's why Jesus created a community. He didn't create seminars to invite people to come and listen. The reality is God could have written it in the sky, but he didn't. He sent his son to be one of us, to live as one of us with our pain, our struggles, our temptations. Jesus was tempted in every single way and yet was, with, was without sin. It's the greatest miracle he ever performed. How did he live in this sick old world and do nothing wrong? Nothing. Not even his worst enemies could pin anything on him. Relationship. Join. Connect. Be a part. There's a connect point over there. It's well named. Connect. Join. Be a part of this. For that young guy who spoke to Jesus, it was all a little bit gutting for him, really. He just wanted a quick answer. He didn't want to be challenged. He didn't want his treasure touched. He didn't want Jesus to put his hand on the very thing. He just said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He thought he'd get a one-line answer, I reckon. And Jesus said, well, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, you know them, I know them. Thinking, let's just see what this guy's really about. But he pushed back. And he said, well, I've done that. Done it since I was a kid, but something's just not working out. And then Jesus went, okay, let's talk about your treasure. Let's talk about your God. Sell what you have. Give your money to the poor and follow me. No, I won't do that. Jesus put his hand on his God and he walked away. He walked away and there is no record of Jesus going after him and renegotiating the terms. Because it's tough, it's difficult. Being a Christian, it's not some prop that weak people need in order to survive. This is tough. It's the narrow gate. We've got to lay down our treasure. We've got to only have one God. The first commandment out of the ten. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength. People often say, I'm not a bad person. Well, have you done that? Have you succeeded with that, of the first of the ten commandments? You see, it's a powerful conversation that has nothing to do with money. Nothing to do with money in one sense. But for that guy, it was everything to do with money. Choosing to follow Jesus means offloading our baggage. It means bowing down and passing through the turnstile into God's kingdom. It's a one-way turnstile. They only go one way. If you try to come back, you get embarrassed because it jams, <laughs> and you get stabbed, you just get left there. It's a one-way turnstile. No family tickets. 
No day passes. No shortcuts. No jumping over the fence when nobody's looking. It's the narrow way through the eye of the needle. One final challenge from the lips of Jesus himself before we pray. And maybe some of you take a step today. Maybe some of you have been part of the scene of church for a long time. But today, God's put his hand on your treasure. And he said, through the eye of the needle. Maybe you're here and you've never heard this message before. Maybe you're not a Christian. I want to say to you, you need to be. You need to be a Christian. Not you need to be religious. God save us from religion. But you need, you need Jesus. Whatever the answer, that you, whatever the question that you've got, Jesus is the answer. So that final challenge from Jesus, I've alluded to it already. This is what he said. It's a powerful, powerful challenge. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. And many travel along it. But narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and few find it. The narrow road, the narrow gate. You see, that's the way that we go through the turnstile into God's kingdom. That's how we join the family. We lay down our treasure. We walk away from our gods. And we connect with a father. Some of you are hearing that for the first time. And there is an opportunity right now to take a massive internal step. I'm not saying to you, do you understand everything the Bible says? Do you know the name of every one of the 66 books of the Bible? I'm not interested whether you know that or whether you don't. That comes. Not sure I do. <clears throat> I learned them once, though, and I got a penknife when I was 11. I do remember that. Whatever church gave me a penknife at 11 years old. But if you're prepared to lay down your treasure and to make this Father your God, then you can pass through the one-way turnstile today. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to do something very brave. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Whether you're hearing it for the first time or whether you know that today God's put his finger on your treasure and he wants you to give it all up for him in order that you would be everything that you were meant to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the eternal message of the gospel of the kingdom of God that challenges us, it offends us, it breaks us, it melts us, it unravels us, but somehow it is the means by which we are, whole, we are made whole, we are healed up, we are forgiven, we are set free, we inherit eternal life. Father, I want to per- pass through the turnstile once again today, Lord, through the eye of the needle. I choose, Lord, I humble myself that I would be all that you want me to be. If God's placed his hand on your treasure today for the first time or for the umpteenth time and Today, you need to respond to God. I'm just going to ask you to stand to your feet where you are. Just stand to your feet now.
mighty God. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the great opportunity that is presented before us to be unpacked of our baggage, to be brought to our knees in order to pass through the narrow gate into the kingdom of God. Father, the hundreds and hundreds of times that I've presented this message and it unravels me every time because it's not just a once in a lifetime decision, it's a daily choice to go the route of the narrow gate. Lord, and I pray for us as a church, Lord, that we would be marked by humility, that we'll be marked, Lord, by as people who know our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So just once again, if you are, if you're new to the church, or, or actually even if you're not new, but you may feel you need the foundations put right, this is for you. Alpha is for you. Tuesday afternoons in October and November starts in two or three weeks' time, three weeks, I think. And uh, we would love you to be a part of this journey. It's a very uh, frequent journey that we take here at Hope Church, three times a year, in fact. And uh, many, 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 many people are going through it and uh, are finding God for themselves. So Alpha's for you. Thank you so much.